Let's keep praising the Lord for Rick and the worship team. Amen. One of those young ladies was in my youth group way back in the 90s. One of the other young ladies and my children grew up here in Alamo City. And it's an honor to be able to stand in front of you this morning in this pulpit that uh, is uh, tended by our pastor, David Walker. What a guy. He's been my pastor almost 30 years. Praise God. Man of prayer. Man of the word. Man, he prays. And he shortchanges himself a lot because he always says, you know, Rich, you get up there, man. You and Sammy and old Billy Hobbs is in glory right now. You guys are evangelists. I said, Pastor, man, you're the greatest evangelist I've ever been around, man. He loves to win souls. Loves to win souls. Paul told that young preacher, Timothy, he was the pastor of Ephesus, and he said, do the work, do the work of an evangelist. Jerry made one little mistake in his introduction to me. I'm the chaplain of the five-time world champion San Antonio Spurs. Come on now. Some of you folks aren't clapping. Y'all must be those Laker fans. They're everywhere, man, no matter where you go. All them Houston Rocket fans. But I don't know if you folks know, one hour before every NBA game, Rockets come in town, Thunder come in town, my man Westbrook, front and center, man. He's a tenacious player, but he never misses chapel. One hour before every game, both teams come together, a little room in the AT&T Center called the chapel, and Big Daddy Rich will be waiting for him. And I will not be talking to the NBA players about what Miss Oprah Winfrey has to say, or Dr. Phil has to say, or Dr. Oz has to say, or Billy Graham or David Walker or me have to say. I'll be talking to the NBA players out of the number one selling book of all time, the B-I-B-L-E. And Lord willing, in September, I'll start my 22nd year as a co-chaplain of the five-time world champion. San Antonio Spurs. I get an opportunity to preach many times and always tell preachers, preacher, how would you like to have a congregation of 15 guys worth a half a billion dollars? But the problem is they won't let you pass the plate, man. You ask the guys for an autograph, you're gone. We're just the chaplain, man. And it was a great, you know, I thought about this. This wasn't in my notes. I'm just kind of speaking from the overflow right now, but I knew the guy who used to be the chaplain of Indianapolis Colts. And he asked Peyton Manning for something one time. And, and Peyton said, you too, chaplain? Boy, it hit me like a ton of bricks. If there's any guy in the Coliseum that shouldn't be asking anybody for anything, that's the chaplain. That's the way I look at it. That's the way I look at it. We're just there to give. And we give them, amen, the word of God. What an opportunity to be able to share. Because we got this promise. I was talking to a fellow before first service here, over here where I was sitting. We got this promise in Isaiah. And this is for you, for me, every, all believers. The word of God does not come back void, Isaiah says. 
it's going to come back. It's going to do something in someone's life. So it's our honor and privilege, and here it is, responsibility to give folks, thus saith the Lord, because the word doesn't come back boy. Here's another thing just from the overflow. Flow, the, the, the Bible says that the ears of the Lord are closed to the wicked. Those that do not know the Lord personally, their, ear, their, their prayers go unanswered. They don't even make them to the throne. But we as believers who receive the Lord, our prayers make it to the throne, man. So again, here's the word. Responsibility for us to pray. Not only is it our responsibility to give the word because the word's not going to come back void, but it's our responsibility to pray because our prayers are making it. And God, from our pastor, has shown us the way. That's the great thing I always say about biblical Christianity. Man. Jesus, Paul, Peter, the disciples, the Old Testament, they walked, they showed by an example, man. They weren't like the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. They tell us what to do, but they don't follow what they're telling us what to do. People of the Bible led by example. One, and our pastor leads by example. Amen? One of these great things that are going on in our society today is this live stream. And I know my mom and dad up in Pennsylvania are watching right now. And I know a lot of other friends have had the privilege of being the chaplain of a company up in Austin called AM Technical Solutions. And I know a lot of those men and women are, are watching. A lot of my friends, a lot of my children's friends. And my oldest son, Rich, RG3, is with us today. But I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter. And they asked me when I walked in this morning, you got a title for the message? And I do. It's called Jesus' Last Crusade. I often give a message that's called Jesus in Training Camp. In Luke 4 and Matthew 4, Jesus is baptized and the Father speaks out of heaven. This is my son, I'm well pleased. And then he's ordained into the ministry. His three years of ministry is going to take place, his earthly ministry. And he didn't take him to a party. First place Jesus went after he was baptized was to the wilderness, to training camp. To the training camp. Well, this is Jesus' last crusade. This is his last shot at the masses. If you look at this passage of Scripture chronologically, next chapter, he puts on the loincloth and he washes the disciples' feet, goes to the Last Supper. And he's going to spend the rest of his earthly life with his disciples. He spent a lot of time with the 12. But this is his last shot at the masses, his last crusade, public ministry. Then he's going to go to Gethsemane and he's going to pray so hard, bleeds blood, and then he goes to the cross for your sins and my sins and every person that's ever lived sins. This is his last crusade, his last shot, and there was no microphones in the day. There was no megaphones in the day. And your, my translation in New American Standard says, look at it in verse 44, 1244, Jesus cried out, 
Some might say he shouted out. But there wasn't going to be any excuse, John 12, 44. John 12, 44, he cried out. There was three things in his last crusades. Maybe this is where the old preacher's got three points in a poem, right? This was Jesus' three points in his last crusade. Sammy Tippett was here last week, watched him on live stream. We don't know. He doesn't know when his last crusade is. Billy Graham went on to be with the Lord this year. He didn't know when his last crusade was. Jesus knew what his last crusade is because he's God. He was all man. He was all God. This is his last crusade. This is his last shot at the masses, and he wanted the people to know there's no excuses. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I got to believe Jesus wants the people in our world, people in our world to know these three things. Someone might see on the top of this passage right here in my Bible says the summary of Jesus' ministry. Maybe yours says that same thing. This sums it up, man. This is his work. This is why he came. This is what he wanted us to know. He cried out. Look at it. And he says this. He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. The first thing that Jesus wanted the world to know was that he was and is God. He was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus told the Pharisees in John 10, 30, the Father and I are one, and the Pharisees, the Bible says, reached down to get the rocks. And Jesus said, what, what miracle are you going to stone me for? And they said, no miracle. You being a man, you claim to be God. See, the Pharisees knew what Jesus was saying when he said he was the Son of God. No one ever called Jehovah Father until Jesus showed up on the scene. And he, the Pharisees knew him by saying, I'm the son of God, the father and I one. He was saying, I'm God in the flesh. If you ever do a study, word study in the Bible on demons, every picture of demons in the Bible, when Jesus shows up, they hit the turf, man. They hit the dust. And they say, oh, Messiah, oh, Holy One, have you come before your time to torment us? The demons knew who Jesus was, and James says they tremble. The Pharisees knew who Jesus was. Two chapters after this in John 14, Philip, one of the disciples with Jesus every day for three years, says to Jesus, show us the Father. And he says, Philip, heaven, I've been with you so long. If you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. The first thing the world wanted, that Jesus wanted the world to know, to summarize his ministry, numero uno, Roman numeral one, can't go further after this. Jesus was the second person of the Trinity. I speak in a lot of penitentiaries. Some of you might know that. I've been on death row twice, Raleigh, North Carolina, Huntsville, Texas. But there's a big prison out in Southern California that I go to, they just towed Charles Manson's body from there a couple months ago. And right next to Charles Manson was a guy, is a guy named Saran Saran, the guy who killed Robert Kennedy, not JFK, but Robert Kennedy. 
big prison, 6,000 guys, double max, never going to leave prison the rest of their life. They need to know that Jesus is God. And we go. And we go. And this church has been sending me for 34 years. 47 states, Canada, Mexico, Barbados, South Africa, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. Been with the President of the United States. Been with homeless people under bridges. Little league athletes to pro athletes and everybody in between. Businessmen and women. 4,000 public schools all over the world. For his glory. For his glory. Romans says, how would they hear without a preacher? How would they preach unless they are sent? See, we're all on it together, folks. Some go, some send. Thank you, Alamo City, for sending me for 34 years. Jesus wanted the world to know. Before he went to the cross, he wanted the world to know. Roman numero uno, he was God. He was God in the flesh. He said to Philip, if you've seen me, Philip, You've seen the Father. Every false religion on the face of the earth, I don't care what ism you yell out right now, and I'll tell you. I don't care what ism you, uh, you scream out today. Every ism on the, on the face of the earth denies the deity of Jesus Christ. They deny that Jesus is God. Real verse, easy verse to remember, 1 John 2, 22. 1 John 2, 23. 1 John 2, 3 deuces. 1 John 2, 22. He asks the question, who is a liar? And he answers it. Who is a liar? The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Joshua. Every religion on the face of the earth says he was a great teacher. Amen. Great prophet. Amen. Farrakhan's group up in Chicago, Islam, they say, Islam, they say they got a real, real close. Jesus is the son of God. But when they say Jesus is the son of God, they mean like my son Rich and I. No, Jesus saying he's the son of God was telling people he's God in the flesh. Every ism on the face of the earth deny the Jesus Christ was God, is God. Great prophet, great teacher, the son of God. One group says, like Esau and his brother Jacob, one went good way, one went the bad way. No, it's clear. I was with a guy, group of guys in a Phoenix prison from the Muslim faith, and every time I said something, they had something to say, and afterwards, a guy came up to me, and I showed him out of Genesis 126. The verse that says this, let's make man and women, let's create man and women out of our. Let's make man and women like our image, not my image, our image. Elohim, the plural name for God, because he was telling me there's no trinity in the Bible. And I said, bro, there is no trinity in the Bible. The word trinity is not in the Bible. But when you study the Bible, trinity is from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus said, it's better that I go away. It's better that I go away because when I go away, I'm going to leave you one just like myself, the Holy Spirit. He's not going to live with you. He's going to live in you. Yeah. 
Jesus is God in the flesh. The way I work in prisons, I speak on a platform to the masses, and we leave counselors there all day long, and they minister to the people. I go to another prison, and that night we meet together at a church and break bread and testify. And one of the counselors came up to me that day and said, Rich, that guy prayed to receive Christ today because he had never seen that verse in the Bible. Let's make men and women in our image. Not my image, our image. The Trinity is all through the Bible. He wanted the world to know. And ladies and gentlemen, he wants our world to know. You got to tell. We've got to tell people. It was God on the cross. Because if it wasn't God on the cross, we have no hope today because it had to be a sacrifice without spot or blemish. It couldn't be man on the cross because we know Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. King David said, In my mama's womb I was conceived in sin. Before I was even born I was a sinner. It couldn't be man on the cross. It had to be the God-man on the cross. It had to be the God-man on the cross. Second thing, he cried out. He shouted out. He told the world there's not going to be any excuse. Verse 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone, everyone say everyone. One of my favorite words in the Bible, everyone, or whosoever somebody's translation might say. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me receives me. John 1, 12, receive Jesus, appropriate Jesus, take to Jesus, call him your very own. Like the birthday gift, wrapped in green, gold bow on it. Your name's there, but it doesn't do you one bit of good. Even though that's your gift, that's your gift, you got to receive the gift. Personally, you got to receive it, open it up, put the hat on, the gold on, the shoes on. A gift has to be appropriated, received, John 1.12. See, we're not all God's children, we're all God's creation. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. John 1.12 says, for as many as receive Jesus, appropriate Jesus. To him or her, he's given the right, the authority to be called what? Children of God. Those who receive Jesus are, have the right, the authority. That's the word of God. John 1.12, you look at it. Have the right, the authority to be called children of God. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. Look at it. I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus' name means Savior. Jesus' name means Rescuer. Some of you maybe received this Christmas card at Christmas time. It says, if the Lord knew we needed more education, he would send a teacher. If the Lord knew we needed more money, he would have sent a banker. But the Lord knew we needed redemption. We needed forgiveness. So the Lord sent us what we needed. He sent us a Savior. Receive, receive the Lord. He said, 
I'm sending you a Savior, the number one verse in the whole Bible. For God of the Bible, the triune God. The God of the Bible, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one who said, let's make man in our image. The triune God said, I don't just love humanity. You English majors know when you put S-O in front of the word, check it out, check it out, check it out, it means When you put S-O in front of the word, it means I so love you. I so love you that he gave the world what we needed. The God, God the Father always gives us what we need, not what we want. He gave us what we needed. He gave us a Savior. If you really want to break Jesus' name down to the nitty-gritty, it means Jehovah saves. Not just Savior, not just rescuer. If you break it down to the, mm, it means Jehovah saves. It had to be God on the cross. For the God of the Bible, he so loved us that he gave us what we needed, a Savior. And then here it is, whosoever. You know, there's a lot of guys in that penitentiary in Southern California. When I go, I always say, you know, there's some of you sitting here. You think what you did to her, what you did to him, what you did to that family, your family, God could never forgive me. You know, I tell those men, tattoo on every part of their body, double max, super max, never going to get out the rest of their life, 19 years old, never going to get out. I say, you know what that is, bro? It's pride. You think your little bitty sin is greater and above the blood of Jesus Christ. I said, let me tell you guys, I came here to tell you some good news, and here's my second favorite word in the scripture, whoever, whosoever believes, receives Jesus, going to get out of your 100-year sentence? Didn't say that. We might live to 110 years old, but forever and ever is eternity, ladies and gentlemen. Eternity is forever and ever and ever and forever and ever and ever and forever and ever and ever. And the Bible says there's no getting out. Purgatory sounds like a great thing, but it's not scriptural. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool to live your life the way you want to live it, do whatever you want, and then get put in a holding tank so you could get quote-unquote refined, so you could go to heaven. Don't work that way. Here's what Hebrews says. Once to die, once to judgment. Once to die, then the judgment. It sounds pretty good, these man-made things that billions of people believe in. Folks, he had a plan. He loved us so much. He had a plan. He had one plan. I want to give you this illustration. Might help you with somebody in your family, someone you love dearly, who haven't received Jesus yet. And the illustration goes like this. If we went to a doctor's office with an unbelievable toothache in our mouth, an excruciating pain on our body, and we said to the dentist or doc, doc, man, I need some help. I'm in pain, man. 
And she'd say to you, well, go home, whatever mama's got around the house, whatever your neighbor got across the street, whatever grandma got down across town, take some of those medicines and maybe you'll get well. You'd never go to that dentist again, would you? No, because when you got a specific pain in your body, you want a specific remedy for that pain and you want it now. That doctor or dentist would be a very unloving doctor or dentist to send you out of her office without some pain medicine. Well, everybody talks and wants to talk about the love of God, and I'm one of them. Scripture says God is love, and he so loved us. And our God, the God of the Bible, the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that God would have been a very unloving God to put us on earth and say, figure it out. Figure out how to get to heaven. You got a billion in Africa doing it this way and a billion in Africa, billion in the Middle East doing it this way and a billion in Europe doing this way. Figure out to get to heaven. And here's the kick, man. If you don't figure it out right, you're going to burn forever and ever. And ever and ever. And ever and ever. And ever and ever. And you'll never get out. And you don't disappear. The torment's forever and ever and ever. God would have been very unloving to put us on earth and say, figure it out. Nah, man. That God we've been singing about, praying to, preaching about, he so loved us. He didn't just love us. He so loved us. And he said, I'm God. I got a plan. As a matter of fact, I had the plan way back in Genesis with Cain and Abel. You remember my man Cain? He was a farmer. He brought the Lord. He knew it was time to worship. Just like the billion in Africa, the billion in the Middle East, and the billion in Europe, they know it's time to worship, but they had that Frank Sinatra syndrome. Cain had the Frank Sinatra syndrome. Remember Frank's number one song? What was it, Rick? My way. My way. Yeah, I'm going to worship, but I'm going to worship God my way. And I'm going to bring some apples and oranges, man. They're the best I got, Cain said. Would the Lord say, I don't receive this? He received Abel's offering because what did Abel bring? The blood. The blood. The blood. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It's always been the blood. Remember our first parents? Adam and Eve sinned. What they covered themselves with? Vegetation. What the Lord covered them with? Skin. Killed the animal and covered them with skin. It's always been the blood, ladies. It's always been the blood, guys. From Genesis to Revelation. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The God of the Bible said, I got a plan. I love you so much, I created you, and I got a plan. Here's the plan. My son is going to leave heaven, John 1:14. The word became flesh. It was already in existence, but it became flesh. He was not born in a castle or a mansion. He was born in a horse trough. 33 years, never disobeyed his mom, never cussed, never shot heroin, never smoked a joint, never broke the law. 
Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never sinned. And at the end of 33 years, he said, no one takes my life. See, I grew up thinking that the Roman soldiers killed Jesus and the Jews killed Jesus. You know what I found out by studying the scriptures these last 35 years? The Bible says in Isaiah that it was the Father's good pleasure that Jesus went to the cross. It was his plan. He had one plan. I'm God. I created you. Now I want to show you how to get to me forever and ever. And forever and ever, that's because I love you. That's what he told Cain. Cain, he said, Cain, why are you so downcast? Just Cain, bring me the blood and everything's going to go right with you, man. Just repent, Cain. Do the other thing. Live for me. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't do it your way. I'm God. That's why these missionaries have been going and going for decades to other countries. I got a plan. One plan. John 14, 6. Favorite verse in the Bible. Jesus speaking. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl will go to heaven but through faith in me and what I did. He loved us. He so loved us. He didn't put us on earth and say, figure it out. He didn't put us on earth saying, you could be good enough. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, grace you're saved. You get something you don't deserve through faith. But that faith's not yours. It's a gift to God, not by works, but any man should boast. No works. Jesus' last words on the cross were what? It's finished. It's finished. I'm going to do the work. I did the work. Receive me. Appropriate me. And now I'm going to live through you. I'll do the works through you. And you're going to love doing it. And you're going to want to do it. And no one's going to have to beg you to do it because he says in Matthew 11, my yoke's easy. My yoke fits. It doesn't rub your neck raw like religion. Do, 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 do. And you don't know if you've ever done enough to get to heaven. He told the most religious people that ever lived in Matthew 11, 28, come to me, I'll rest your soul. Then he said, take my yoke and be a disciple, learn from me. Religious people want to put the cart before the horse. They want to work. They want to work. Man-made rituals, man-made sacraments. I was there 25 years. And at the end of their life, Randy Gradishar in 1982 said, Garza, you going to heaven when you die? No clue. Because a religious person plays a scale game. They hope they did enough good things outweigh the bad things. And you never know if you did enough good outweigh the bad. So Jesus said, Come to me, and I'll rest your soul. Now, take my yoke. Learn from me. My yoke's easy. It fits. It doesn't rub your neck raw. Whew, what a picture. Last thing he wanted the world to know before he went to the cross. Roman number one, I'm God in the flesh. I'm God. Second part of the Trinity. Roman number two, I'm the light of the world. I'm the savior of the world. 
And whosoever believes in me will not perish, not go to hell forever and ever, but have everlasting life forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever. This last point knocked me out when I first started studying this passage. After I give you this last point, you're going to understand why the devil is trying to keep this Bible out of our public schools. You're going to realize when I give you this last verse, you're going to realize why the Gideons, those great guys that give out New Testaments, can't go into schools anymore. They got to go across the street. When I give you this last verse, you're going to realize, you're going to discern why the devil is trying to keep this book and what this book says from the people of the world. It's a plan. It's a demonic plan. Look at it. Verse 48. He who rejects me does not receive my sayings, has one who will judge him. The word I spoke, the word I spoke, the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Here's why, Jesus said. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as what to say and what to speak. And I know his commandment is eternal. Therefore, because it's my words, because my words come from the Father, therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me what to say. My favorite chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 89. has 176 verses. My favorite is 89. It says, thy word is settled in heaven. The word of God is not going to come out of heaven to meet up with somebody's lifestyle here on earth. We as believers need to bring people to the word, not try to bring the word down to people and to fit into their life. We need to bring people up to the word of God because it's settled. Can't add to it. Scripture says it's purified seven times, and number seven and multiples of seven means eternally perfect, purified, complete. You can't add anything to it. The word is settled in heaven. See, folks, you and I, we're going to be judged by what the word says. How we did our marriages, how we trained our children. What we did with our money, what we did with our time, what we did with the gifts and the talents that God blessed us with, we're going to be judged by what the Bible says. There's a preacher up in New York City. He's got all the highfalutin folks from Hollywood and the music industry in his church. Big church in New York City said something on one of the talk shows. Jesus never said nothing about homosexuality. It's not written in red, so I'm not going to say anything about it. Well, here's what that preacher don't understand. Genesis, the Revelation's written in red. The whole Bible's written in red. Preachers like to say, oh, man, it's written in red. No, bro, the whole Bible's written in red. 
Genesis to Revelation, 2 Timothy 3.16, not John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. Easy verse to remember, not John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16 begins with a word, A-double-L, all scriptures inspired by God. It's all read. It's all written in red. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, you were just like them. Corinthians, you were once just like them. Folks, we're going to be judged. That preacher's going to be judged. Everybody who ever's lived is going to be judged, not by me, not by our pastor, not by Billy Graham, Dr. Martin Luther King, some other great American Pope priest. We will not be judged by anybody's word but by what Jesus said. Do you see why? He's trying to keep this book from us. Little, little verse in Hosea, probably the most well-known verse in that little book of Hosea, 4-6. My people are perishing for lack of knowledge. It doesn't mean they're losing their salvation. It means their marriage has no victory. Their family has no victory. Their life has no victory. Why? They know about what everybody else has to say, but they don't know what I have to say. They're not living their life the way I wanted them to live it. They're not doing their marriage and their kids the way I want them to do it. They're not doing their finances the way I want them to do it. So there's no victory in their life. They're perishing. There's no light. They don't know me. They don't know my word. They know more about what grandma and them used to do. It. This is the way grandma and them used to do it. And the greatest thing about this Bible, the greatest thing about this Bible, all 66 verses, 66 books, the greatest thing about that Bible is it tells a person how to get from earth to heaven when they die. It's the greatest thing. And we've been over the verses again. John 14, 6. I'm the way. Not one of the ways. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm not one of the truths. I'm the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not one of the lives. I'm the life. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl will go to heaven but through faith in what I did. Faith in who I am. That's the greatest thing about the Bible. It tells us how to get to heaven. He had one plan. He's God. He's God. He created us. He got one plan. I know you the best. I love you the most. I got one plan. I like everybody in the house just to bow their head, close their eyes. I can remember a time like this 35 years ago was before a game in Tampa Bay, Florida. Old guy came to speak like an old guy came to speak to you today, and he talked just like I talked. He was bold as a lion, old Doc. He went in the NFL, he got in people's faces. And he told them the truth. And I'm so glad he did. And there might be somebody sitting here today 
like I said 35 years ago. When they asked me, are you going to heaven when you die? Hope so. Hope I'm good enough. Hope I've done enough good. The epistle of John, the back of the Bible, first five chapters of the epistle of John, uses the word K-N-O-W, no, 32 times. Religion says, oh, we don't know how to get to heaven. We don't know for sure we're going to heaven. No one knows for sure if you're going to heaven. Well, let me tell you, the Bible says 32 times in one chap five chapters. Here's how you get to heaven. 1 John 5, 13. These things I've written to you that you may know you can have eternal life. He who has received the Son, Jesus, has eternal life. You can know it. Someone might be sitting there like I was saying, Rich, it's got to be God, man. Because I've never felt like this in my life. That's where I was. I was 25 years old when I received the Lord. I went through five years of college at Temple University in, in Philadelphia, a big city. I was in my third year of pro football. Grew up in a religious home. Folks, I tried everything the world had to offer. And that day with my head down in that chapel before that game, I knew it had to be God because I had never felt like this in my life. Might be somebody sitting there just like that today. You know it's God. If that's you, sir, ma'am, boy or girl, in your heart. Because the God of this Bible, the God we've been singing about, the God we've been talking about, he reads your heart. The devil can't read your heart. The devil can hear what you said, but he can't read your heart. And in your heart of hearts, if that's you today, you know it's God. Tell him what he knows about you. Just say, Father, I'm a sinner. Tell him that. I'm a sinner. For some reason, I thought I could be good enough. And I realized I cannot. Tell him that. And say, Lord, right now, I receive, I receive you. Jesus, tell them that. I received what you did for me on the cross. I should have been there, but you took my place. Tell them that. If it's you today, and then say, Lord, thank you for dying for me. And then tell them this because it's biblically true. Lord, I'm going to heaven when I die. Not because I'm a good guy, not because I'm a good woman. Not because I've been faithful to my wife or husband. Not because I never used drugs. Not because I'm Baptist. I'm going to heaven when I die. Tell them that. Because right now, at this very moment, I'm receiving what you did for me. Not what I could do, but receiving what you did for me on the cross 2018 years ago. With everybody's head down, your eyes closed, nobody looking around. Is there any way we say, Rich, I got it right today with God. That prayer just came out of my heart. Well, you just don't look around. Just lift up your hand as high as you can lift it. Real high. Come on, guy. Thank you. Thank you. Real high. All the way in the back. Lift it up high. I can see. In the middle. Thank you. Real high. All the way in the back. I see you. 
I see you, my bro. Been praying for you, man. I prayed for you, and you got your hand up. Praise God. All over, all over the place. Young and old. You can put your hands down. Today's your day. Mark it down. Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. July 8th. See, mine was April 30th, 1983. A couple years after I received the Lord, I wanted to know. I sent my mom the programs that she couldn't make, the games she couldn't make. Went back to her house and I found it. There it was at the top, Tampa, Florida, April 30th, 1983. That was my day. You know, I tell people all the time, I'm not telling you you need to know the date. But you got to know the time. Come on, man. VBS, my daughter could testify at her mama's bedside on Easter Sunday. I know a guy, multimillionaire, dairy farmer on a manure pile in California, cried out to the Lord. Inmates cried out to the Lord. I'm not saying you need to know the date, but you got to know what it was. You got to, because I guarantee you know the first time you took a sip of that cold beer. You could tell me the first time you smoked a joint. You could tell me the first time you let out something in your mouth that you can't, shouldn't have been saying. Laid down with somebody you should have never laid down with. You can't tell me that the king of kings, the one who spoke the out mountains of the Pacific Ocean into existence came into your life and you don't remember when it was? Hands went up all over the place today. All over this morning, same thing. Jesus said to the disciples, the fields are white to harvest. I'm telling you this, guys, ladies, you're believers. The fields are white, man. What does that mean? They're ready to be picked. It's ready to be picked. And then Jesus said this to the disciples, don't pray for the fields. Pray for the workers. Pray for somebody to go and pick them. That's us. Let that gospel out. Charles Spurgeon said, the gospel is like a lion, man. You let it out of its cage and it'll do what it does. The word won't come back void. You folks that raised your hand today, tell somebody. I remember when I said amen to that sinner's prayer, I thought my mom and my dad, I got to go. I got to get to them. My three brothers and my sisters, I got to get to them. God's been faithful. God's been faithful. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Let's pray together. And we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this new day. Thank you, Lord, that you, for so many of us in this room today in this morning service, you kept us around one more day so we can hear the gospel and we can receive you, Lord. You knew it. You knew it, Lord. Nothing surprises you. You said darkness is broad daylight to you, Lord. Thank you for this day. And so many today, this morning, in this morning service could say, today, today is the day of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for doing what you do best, saving souls, encouraging the brethren. 
Lord, you said some plant, some water. You give the increase. We know that, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you for this body. Thank you for allowing my family and I to be part of it. Thank you for so many that pray for us, Lord. I bless them today. Bless us as we go now, Lord. Bless us as we go. Protect us as we go. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you for taking our place on that cross. And now you told us we got the words of reconciliation to tell people. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.